0: Bibles are open to Second Samuel chapter 22. This chapter begins with the words, And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song, in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies, and out of the hand of Saul. We also know from the Bible that this entire chapter, and it's a fairly lengthy one of some 51 verses, has been repeated for us again in Psalm chapter 18. There we are told that these are the last words of David. David is now 70 years of age. We know that he was 30 when he became king over the tribe of Judah. Um, And for the next 40 years, he ruled over either all or part of the nation of Israel. So again, 70 years. David was a warrior. David had spent his life out on the battlefield and even as an older man, possibly uh, my age uh, or or even a little after that, he was trying to go out to battle to lead the armies and uh, he got himself into some tough situations and finally his men said, no, you you just stay behind, Uh, you can can direct the battle but, but let us do the fighting because they were worried about losing him. Years of war had taken their toll on David in a physical manner. From 1 Kings chapter 1, we find that in the end of his life, though David's mind was still clear, his body was pretty much confined to bed. The Bible says that he was cold all the time. He he couldn't generate body heat anymore and so forth. Uh, His situation was uh, such that he went ahead and had his son Solomon crowned as king while he was still alive. Usually you waited for succession after the death of the king. So Solomon and David sort of reigned together for a very short time. So we see David as an older man, 70 years of age, looking back on a life, not a perfect life. David's life illustrates what the ladies just sang about. You can start over again. David had a stumble in a dark time in his life, but he found mercy and he found grace from his God. But again, these are David's final words. I learned a long time ago that when God repeats a phrase or a verse in the Bible, that is God's way of highlighting or emphasizing that truth. Even in the chapter that we read from today, you probably can't see it. I have some verses highlighted in yellow. As I read these verses a couple of months ago, they stood out to me. I have some notations made in the columns and so forth. I highlight them so that the next time I read through, my eye will be drawn to uh, that same truth and I'll pick up on it again and maybe just rethink that whole thing and let it seep into my heart. The very fact that God repeated an entire lengthy chapter twice. Here in 2 Samuel 22 and again in Psalm 18 tells us that this is a portion of Scripture we ought to pay attention to. I would challenge you sometime today before you forget, uh, read through the, the whole chapter, maybe flip over to Psalm 18 and read it. It is almost word for word the same. And just ask the Lord to show you what's really important in there for you. But we want to look at two verses this morning, an observation that David is making as an elderly man who has, for the most part, lived his entire life in the service of the Lord. From the time he was a youth, he was called a man after God's own heart. Uh, he is a man who hazarded himself for the work of Christ. He's a man that God used to pen many, many chapters of the book of Psalms for our edification David looks back, and if you will, on a life well lived, and he makes some observations for us. Could you look again at verse 26? David is speaking to the Lord here, not about the Lord, talking to the Lord. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward... It's not forward, it's froward. That is an old English word that means stubborn, difficult, prickly, argumentative. That's what the word froward means. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. Just two little verses. Again, these are repeated almost word for word in Psalm 18. There's some things that I noticed that just really stood out to me. First of all, as I read those two verses, I realized God's not treating everybody the same way. God's not treating everybody the same way. And I realized that makes us want to take a step back and say, no, wait a minute, that wouldn't be fair. For God to treat somebody nicely and other people in, in an unnice manner. But that's really what it says, isn't it? To some people, the Bible says he's merciful. To others, he is unsavory. How many have ever eaten something that was unsavory? Yes. Yes. Um, When I was in Bible college, I had a Bible club in a Spanish neighborhood. And uh, so uh, uh, they saw us poor college guys and they were sure we were wasting away. Uh, so almost every Saturday when Bible club was done, we would go to the Diaz house, uh, or to the, the, uh, Bonita's house. And, uh, they would there have a, a big meal for us, always something Spanish and so forth. Uh, oftentimes Sunday afternoon, they'd want to have us, uh, poor college guys over and, and, they would have a big Sunday dinner for us. And, um, there was most of the food was like really, really good, and we we made up for all of the dorm food that we were stuck with the rest of the week, but every now and then they would just have something that was in in their minds the greatest food uh, that was ever to be uh, invented in the entire world and so i 'm all hyped up and psyched up for it i 'm not going to name anything unless somebody cooks it here and and, and, and you're offended that i didn 't I found your dish unsavory, but there was one time, and it was sort of a holiday meal, something very special to them, and uh, they didn't have enough for everybody, but they saved some just for me, because I was the Bible club leader, and, and they, they meant it really nicely and so forth, so I'm all excited about it, and they put this thing on my plate. He would have probably eaten it and loved it. Um, i wasn 't sure it was dead yet um, i wasn 't sure what what it was. Uh, I, I had no idea what, what was in it, but they 're all watching me they 're all watching me, so you know I took my knife and fork and cut a piece of it and and, and I could just tell by looking at it that this was not going to be the best day of my life and they 're all smiling and they 're all happy and I took a bite. Did you ever see a brand new baby that was just ugly? And you look at it, and they say, here's my new baby. And and all you can think to say is, isn't he something? You know, and and you just, you know, dear God, help them grow out of this. You know, that type of thing. That's how I felt about this. Um, Can I just tell you, it was totally unsavory. It was one of those things, I, I have no idea, my acting skills must have been on par that day, and I put a big smile on my face as, I don't think I chewed more than once, that was enough, and I just swallowed that as fast as I could, and uh, they're like, wasn't that great? And my response is, that was really something, that was ugly baby food, you know, that type of thing. Uh, understand, we we laugh a little at that illustration, but the Bible says with the fro word, David's talking to God with that stubborn, difficult, prickly, argumentative person, the Bible says, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. Now, God is always good, am, am I right? I'll give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. The Lord is good and doeth good. And over and over we find that truth in the Bible. But here David is saying, not everybody sees the good side of God. Some people, to them, God shows himself unsavory. As human beings, regardless of our age or or, uh, marital status or whatever, we all have many different roles that we fulfill. I walked into my office, uh, my study, in between services, and my grandson, Tommy, was there. That's his Sunday school classroom. Tommy was behind my desk on the chair, my desk chair. He had his feet propped up on my bookshelf. I knew somebody was messing up my books every Sunday. Now I know who it is. And, and uh, uh, he was reading something, but he had his feet propped up there. And I walked in to, to use the restroom, and Tommy looked at me and goes, I'm the boss now. <laughs> yeah, you want to bet? Uh, we, we have many roles. I'm a pastor, uh, I'm a father. Uh, to 11 people, I am Papa. Uh, I am a friend. I am a son. I am a brother. Uh, And that list goes on and on. And each of those relationships, uh, I sort of wear a little bit of a different hat. Um, I treat my grandchildren different than my children. Uh, Any one of uh, my grandsons, uh, Tommy, even though he's a giant and, and in six months he'll probably be taller than me. He's eight years old. Uh, Tommy likes to climb up in my lap and sit there. He's no idea that he's a moose, none whatsoever. Um, All the way down to little Wesley, I just love holding him around. Um, That's my relationship, just nice and cuddly and holding them and all that kind of stuff with my grandsons, but it's going to happen with him. (laughs) And it's definitely not happening with my son-in-law. You know, I have enough physical issues without being crushed to death. Um, and, and, and you're the same way as, as a parent. Uh, sometimes uh, your children see you as uh, the fun one, and the next moment you're the disciplinarian. At least I hope you are. Sometimes you're the teacher. Sometimes you're the comforter. Nathan came in from playing yesterday and had fallen and had a a little scrape on on his side. And and he needed some, he didn't need any medical attention. He just needed somebody to hug on him and tell him it was all right and man up and go back out. You know, it'll be gone by the time you're 16. Um, we, We wear different hats and we we have different moments with those that we have relations with, uh, relationships with, so does God. God is love, but for some people, that's all they see. God is love, and in their minds, because God is love, God is okay with everything. And, and there is no right and there is no wrong because God is love. Well, God is love, but God is also holy, sinless, perfect. God is just. Do you understand if, if God is just, it would not be right for him to leave sin unpunished. Um, God is still merciful. Even though God is just, he provided a way of salvation for every single one of us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so So God is all of those things. And David is pointing out the fact that he's looking back on his life and realizing, even in his own life... There were times that he saw different sides of God. Or if you will, he saw a different face of God. Sometimes he saw God being very, very merciful to him. Read Psalm 51. After he messed up with Bathsheba and tried to cover up that dark stain, yet he still found the mercy of God. David also can look back and saw times in his life Or perhaps in other people's lives where they were in that froward frame of mind. And they were being stubborn and difficult and prickly and argumentative. And David saw how God responded to them. So David in these two verses reminds me that God doesn't treat everyone the same way. We don't all see God in the same way. Not God being unfair, it entirely depends on us. The Bible says God so loved the world. There's no parentheses with a disclaimer on there. God so loved the world, except for this group of people or except for these kind of... God didn't say that. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. When I first came here, if you came to a morning service, pretty much everybody looked like me. Not as handsome as this, but everybody was, was pretty much a Caucasian person. We went to a service in, in uh, New York City at International Baptist Church once right after 9-11. And uh, sitting behind us was a group of people from Jamaica. Sitting across from us was a group from Haiti. And the service was quietly being translated into other languages. There was a, there was a group of Spanish people. Uh, pe- that's why they called it International Baptist Church. And I remember Trina leaned over to me. She said, that's what I want our church to look like. Um, an international church. Because see, God so loved the world. One Sunday, she, when she was sitting in the back, uh, she always took notes on things. Uh, things were important to her. She came to me on the, the ride home and she said, I was counting. Do you know that we had people who were born and raised in 19 different countries sitting in our morning service? And I said, amen. That's the way it ought to be. God so loved the world. But we also have to understand that God does love us, but God deals with us as individuals. He deals with us as individuals. And and, uh, David just pointed out a few different ways in which God treats people. Please notice this. Go back to verse 26. God responds to us, if you will, the way we respond to him and the way we respond to his word. With the merciful... Thou wilt show thyself mercy. Thou wilt show thyself merciful with the merciful. Merciful means to be tenderhearted, it means to be a forgiving person and to do so willingly. The Bible says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Keep your place here if you can and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm still in the Old Testament, but I will get there. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, part of what we call the Beatitudes, the blessed attitudes. Verse 7 says, blessed are the merciful. Why? Read it with me, church. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do you see an implication in there that if I am not a merciful person, I can't expect to receive mercy? How many see that in there? To make sure that we're reading and understanding that correctly, look over one chapter, Matthew chapter 6. Verse number 13 is the closing words of what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses trespasses that's a really ominous couple of verses if you ask me there's a great promise in there that if I forgive other people their trespasses they've sinned against me done something said something and I forgive them everything is fine between my between me and my heavenly father and should I mess up and come to him and say father I, I shouldn't have said or done that could you please forgive me if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? But, but, but let's say, Brother Rob does something wrong to me, and I decide I'm going to hold a grudge. And, and I'm not forgiving him. Uh, and, and maybe I'm even going to broadcast it so other people can get the grudge with me. And I just refuse to show mercy there. Um, he hurt me, uh, he disappointed me, he failed me, he did something, and so I, th- that's just it. I, I'm, I'm just done with him. And by the way, there are Christian people who actually think that's almost a badge of spirituality when it's the exact opposite of spirituality. Um, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Aren't you glad God doesn't hold grudges? And when we make it right, the forgiveness is there and our sins and iniquities he remembers no more. So here it is. I've I've, I've got an issue against Brother Rob and I'm holding a grudge against him. But my heart's convicted me of something that I said or something that I did. And I go to my father and say, Lord, please forgive me. I, I did this today or I said this today and Lord, I'm really sorry about it. And all of a sudden, heaven is brass. All of a sudden, nobody's answering the line at the other end. You say, why? God sit down in heaven saying, love to forgive you, Tom, but how about that Rob thing? What are you going to do about that? Yeah, but you don't know what he did. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I know exactly what he did. I see everything. You're still supposed to forgive him. Oh, no, you don't know what he said. Yeah, I I heard exactly what he said. My eyes are open to, to everything, uh, my eyes run through the earth. I behold the good, I behold the evil. Um, I've forgiven you of 10 times that much. Now you're supposed to forgive him. But, 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 but it's too hard and I'm, I'm just not gonna forgive him. Okay, then we're done talking. And, and I'm, I'm blocking my fellowship with God. I didn't lose my salvation. Thank God that can't be lost. But, but my fellowship with God is broken simply because of the matter of Mercy. I'm unwilling to show mercy. The Bible says, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. The beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. David was a man who understood that. King Saul got a vendetta against David, got jealous of him. David had done nothing wrong. In fact, David loved his king. David served his king faithfully on many different levels. Not only did he go out and fight Goliath for his king. He was the king's armor bearer for a while. Then he became one of the captains in the king's army and served him faithfully. When Saul was overcome with an evil spirit, David would come in and play his harp and sing to him and and that would bring a comfort and and, and ease the restlessness uh, in, in Saul's spirit. David had never done anything but good to his king, but Saul got jealous, and Saul hated him. And we think for at least a decade, Saul did everything in his power to destroy David. He lied about him. He ruined David's marriage to Saul's daughter. Ruined it. I mean, he didn't even give a bill of divorcement. He took David's wife and gave her to another man and let them get married. It was an adulterous marriage. And even after that thing got settled and she came back home, she never never cared for David again. And they at one time were madly in love with each other. Saul did all this. Saul chased him through the wilderness. Saul tried to kill him publicly. Uh, Saul had an entire army out there uh, scouring the countryside for him. One night there's a place called Engedi. En Gedi mountainous region, a lot of caves up in the hills. And David and his little ragtag army had taken refuge for the night in this cave in a place called En While they were in there, all of a sudden, one of the scouts that they probably had outside uh, came back in whispering and said, David, Saul and his army are headed this way. David's trapped. He has no way, no way of escape. The only thing they can do is, is get as far back into the recesses and the darkness of that cave and just hold their breath and hope either Saul goes by or, or, or they can't be found. But to their amazement, Saul and his entourage, his, his leading soldiers, his personal guard, if you will, they came into the same cave to find rest and safety for that night. David and his men are all back in the shadows in the recess. You realize nobody can sneeze? Nobody can drop a pebble. Nobody can have the rattle of of armor. The tenseness of that situation, it, it would have been a nightmare. Saul fell asleep. The Bible says a deep sleep from the Lord fell on Saul's guards. All fell asleep on duty, sound asleep. David's men leaned over and whispered, they're thinking it's safe because Saul's asleep, this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment you can take care of him. God told you that one day you'd be king and Saul was gonna be gone. This is the moment. And David had, David had the choice to get his revenge. And by the way, no human being would have faulted David for it. But David was a better Christian than that. David said, God forbid that I should lift my hand against the Lord's anointed God, anointed him to be king, and if God wants him off the throne, God will do it, but my hand isn't going to be there. That was David showing mercy to a man who had showed him none. Is it any surprise then when David needed mercy and he came to God, he found it? With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. He says, with the upright man. I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel. He says, with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. The word upright carries two connotations. One, it means to be sound, to be whole, to be complete, to be undefiled. Job was called uh, a just man, an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed or shunned evil. The word upright also means to stand erect or at attention like a soldier. It's my understanding that when a commanding officer is about to issue orders, Whoever it is, whether it is a group of soldiers or a single soldier, is, is uh, supposed to stand at attention, eyes locked on the commanding officer, and listen to whatever is said. That's what the word upright carries. It means uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm at his beck and call. I'm listening to his voice. It also carries the upright uh, that I'm the real deal. I'm not a phony. I'm not putting something on the outside that's not on the inside. But it mostly carries the idea, I'm listening for what the Lord has for me. The Bible says, with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. We talked about David and King Saul. When Saul first enters the pages of Scripture, he, the Bible says he stands head and shoulders above everyone else in the kingdom. I personally think, brother Rob, you're six five. I personally think Saul might've been taller than you. I'm not sure how that's possible, but I think it might've been. Head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the kingdom. Uh, There'll be times I'm at the gym and uh, I'm, I'm supposed to use a pull-up bar or whatever and, and I have to bring, my, uh, you know, bring the box over so I can stand up on top of it or the bench so I can reach the bar to do uh, pull-ups or chin-ups or whatever's on my, my list for the day. And then I'll, I'll watch these guys like you and they just walk up and they barely get up on their tippy toes and they just grab it and they start doing it and they have to bend their knees so that you know, that their feet aren't dragging on the ground or their knuckles or whatever it happens to be. Uh, that type of thing, I don't understand that that kind of height. Uh, but that was Saul. But even though he was a gigantic human being, he was a humble man. The Bible called him this, he was little in his own sight. He didn't think he was qualified to be king. On his anointing day, Brother Vizi pointed out when they went to find Saul to anoint him, he was hiding in all of the baggage and stuff there, because he still just did not think he was qualified for that, he had that humility about him. My, how God blessed him. Samuel was the prophet. And Samuel would come to Saul and say, God wants you to do this, and Saul would go do that. Uh, God wants you to fight this battle, and, and, and Saul would go do that. And, and he had that spirit about him. But about three years in, Saul got to thinking, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job as king. You know, I, I've been at this a while. I'm the first king, and uh, you know, the, the, the king's in charge. Nobody should be telling me what to do. Samuel's never been a king. What does he know? And Samuel got filled with pride. The Bible says he became a very, very stubborn man. The prophet Samuel rebuked him in 1 Samuel 15:23, said, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Saul went throughout all of his kingdom when he started out and eliminated all of the witches, the wizards, anybody that dabbled in the occult. Saul got rid of them from his kingdom, took a stand against that, but he didn't so much in the rebellion of his own heart. Isn't it amazing how we are very quick to see the sin in other people's lives or perceive sin but very, very slow to acknowledge it in ourselves. Saul was that kind of guy. Samuel said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. That's that froward word. He said, that's as iniquity and idolatry. You, You want to be a stubborn person, you might as well get a statue of Buddha and bow down and worship it. That's how God thinks about it. That was Saul. And God said, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So here's this man that started out listening to what God had him to say, if you will, upright man. Standing at attention. Lord, what do you want me to do? And now he's become the exact opposite of that. God rejects him. Some years go by. Saul's lived a bad life, he's, he's lived a life of hatred against David, um, he, he's, he's got a bad testimony, he's got a bad spirit about him, and then all of a sudden, at the end of his life, he has the biggest battle ever. The Philistines were a group of separate uh, city-states, they all banded together, and Saul was facing the largest army that he had ever faced. He had an army, they weren't terribly well equipped, but, but they were better than they'd been in, in years past, but nothing like the Philistines. Nothing like them. And they were outnumbered, probably two to one, maybe three to one. And Saul knew, man, I, if there's ever a time I needed God, it's now. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 28, and when Saul saw I'm sorry, when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. His heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, that's the high priest speaking to him, nor by prophets. So here's this man, he needs God, if you will, more than he's ever needed him, but God didn't answer him. You say, why? Saul wouldn't listen to God, and God said, I'm not listening to you either. Think about that for a moment. How many times do we tell God no? How many times do we say, well, I know the Bible says, but. How many times do we hold, let's use the, the merciful situation, and we justify ourselves in that, and then we need God, and we go to him, and it's like, God, how come you're not answering my prayer? Because we're not upright. We're not listening to what God's told us. And God said, I'm not going to listen to you until you change that. It's not that God doesn't want to help us. He's the one that said, call unto me and I will answer thee, show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He's the one that said, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. We can go on and on about this, this matter, how God wants to answer our prayers, but God's not a genie in the lamp saying, you just go ahead and live any way you want and, and whatever you want, it's there. God said, no, you listen to me and I'll gladly listen to you. Does that describe us? With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. That word pure means to be clean. It means to be whole. It means to be um, real. It means to not be a phony. The harshest words that the Lord Jesus Christ had to say about anybody in his time on earth was not to the publicans not to the harlots not to the drunkards who was it to? the Pharisees the people that proclaimed super righteousness but they were everything but that he said inside uh, inside they were like a, a whited sepulcher like a a grave that somebody had whitewashed and it looked pretty on the outside, but inside filled with dead men's bones. And Jesus' strongest, harshest words came to those who proclaimed to be one thing, but they were something else entirely. So what's David saying? I've learned that if I'm real and transparent with God, that I'll see God the way I ought to see God. Um, the, the book of uh, Proverbs puts it this way. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. I can't speak for anyone else in this room, but I know that there have been times in my life that I've prayed and asked God for direction or guidance or some things maybe that I needed, and it just figured like, it, it just, felt like God wasn't listening, like I wasn't connecting. You know, it's never God's fault when that is taking place. James tells us, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh unto you. It's those moments I need to take a step back and say, Lord, what's wrong with me? Lord, is there something I've done, something I've said, something I'm doing? Is there something... I won't do or I'm not doing? Is there something I've stopped doing that I shouldn't have? And I have to take an honest look and let the Holy Spirit show me whatever it is. By the way, if you ask the Lord honestly to do that, He will. And it's not that God is is just out to nitpick us apart and find fault, but if you really want to be right with God, He wants you to be right. He wants you to have a wonderful close relationship with him. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Blessed are the pure. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. With the froward, thou shalt, wilt show thyself unsavory. We talked about Saul. I read this portion of Scripture, and I realize if I ignore God, I cannot be surprised if God ignores me. If I am critical, if I am bitter, I cannot be surprised when I'm not filled with God's peace. If I'm selfish and self-centered, I can't be surprised if God withholds his manifold blessings from me. And here's the thing I also notice about these two verses. None of it is based on talent. None of it is based on accomplishment or popularity or wealth or what your last name is. Do you know God doesn't care about those things? It's about the condition of your heart. Any one of us can be right with God, regardless of your background, your past. doesn't matter. You can still be right with God. Any one of us can know the peace of God that passes all understanding. Any one of us can be blessed by God and used by God. It all depends on the condition of our heart because God responds to us the way that we respond to God. If you're not saved today, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal savior, it's not because God doesn't want you to be saved. I do not believe in the false teaching that God has predestined some people for heaven and others for hell. I don't believe in that even for a moment. God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But if you're still not saved today, whether it's the first time you've heard the gospel or the hundredth time, It's not God's fault. God's not pushing you away saying, no, I don't want to save you. God's just waiting for you to respond to him. I heard the gospel three times before I got saved. I heard it on a Monday afternoon, a Tuesday afternoon, and a Wednesday afternoon. I knew it was truth. I knew that I wasn't gonna get saved by joining a church or being a good enough person. I understood from the Bible that as a sinner, I needed a savior and the only savior there is is the Lord Jesus Christ. I I knew about how he died on the cross and was buried and raised again to pay for my sin and that salvation was a gift that God was offering to me. But on Monday, I said no because I was worried about what the kids around me were gonna think. On Tuesday, I said no because I was worried that if I did this, if I got saved, that my parents might be mad at me. On Wednesday, I I said no, uh, probably a combination of those things, but I was under conviction. And, and Wednesday night I went home and thought, I, I need this. I, I've been wondering for years how to know for sure I'm going to go to heaven. They've shown me from the Bible, and I determined that when Thursday came and I went back and they shared the gospel and gave that invitation, nothing was going to stop me from leaving my seat and going down and letting them show me how to be saved, and that day I got saved. Amen. But please understand this, on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, I said no. I was still lost even though God was giving me opportunity after opportunity. Don't treat God's gift of salvation that way. If you're not close to God today, it's not because God doesn't want to be close to you. He does. He does. My son's moving away in about eight days, a week from tomorrow. Taking my daughter-in-law with him, stealing my granddaughter's. The only good thing about him moving is the snakes are going too. I believe Michigan just does not have enough snakes. I enjoy a very close relationship with my son. Pretty much always have. He's my firstborn. In a lot of ways, he's my best friend. We talk every day, many times a day, even if it's not a day that we're in the office or whatever. And now, all of a sudden, some 700 miles are gonna separate us. The only good thing about that is when they go on vacation, I don't have to stay at his house and feed the critters. (laughs) Listen very carefully, as his father, I don't care how many miles away he lives, I'm not gonna lose that closeness. If that closeness is lost, it's going to be in his part. I'm, I'm being honest. It's going to be in his part. I don't think it's going to be lost because we're, he's moving away and we're on outstanding terms. I don't want him to go, but I want him in the will of God. And I have to agree with him. I believe this is the will of God. Um, your God, your heavenly father wants to be closer to you than I want to be to my son. If you're not close to him, it's not his fault. What is it in your life that you're digging in on? I don't care what the Bible says. We're as close to God as we want to be. If God's not answering your prayers, maybe you need to step back and say, "So, Lord, is there something in my life that's stopping the connection?" Maybe it's that merciful thing we talked about. Maybe it's some other sin that you're just holding on to, and God's saying, Let's deal with that. Let's deal with that, and then we'll get to that prayer request. Because He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's our God. He's just waiting on us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, thank you for listening well this morning. How many can say, Pastor?